This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. our mini-series uh, on salvation, taking a look at what salvation means to us. This is message number uh, eight in our series. If you missed anything, you can get caught up on the Who We Call It app. Um, keep your Bibles handy tonight because we're going to be uh, skipping around through Scripture tonight. Uh, this is a little bit different than what we're normally used to at Who We Call It. Again, normally we stay in one passage of Scripture and just take verse by verse by verse. Um, messages like today, we spent got about halfway through one of the verses in Romans today. Uh, we'll finish up the next half of it uh, next week. But this is going to be a little bit different because instead of taking a look at a passage of Scripture, we're looking at a topic from Scripture. And so um, topical uh, teaching and preaching is helpful from a teaching perspective. But when we want to declare what God has said, uh, we typically want to stay in the passage and just go through the entire text and let the Bible speak for itself. And so uh, this is a little bit different in, in that aspect here tonight. So keep your Bibles handy because you're going to want to make notes in your Bibles and uh, jot some thoughts down as we go through this uh, passage of Scripture. As we take a look at the idea of redemption tonight. Uh, so turn to Matthew chapter 20, verse number 28, if you're not there already. Uh, I failed to turn there myself. Matthew chapter 20, verse number 28. One verse is going to kind of get us uh, rolling through this until we uh, kind of understand exactly what uh, the idea of redemption is. So uh, last a week before last, we took a look at regeneration, how if we're truly saved and born again, there will be a new change in our life and, and we'll be a new creature in Christ. Uh, tonight we're taking a look at uh, redemption. Uh, and then um, next week, I, I forget what it is next week. I already have it uh, put together, but I forget what the idea is next week. Uh, this week is redemption. Next week is reconciliation. I knew it started with an R. Uh, so... Uh, next week is reconciliation. Today is redemption. Matthew chapter 20, verse number 28. It says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now that word ransom is really important to us because just like we in the TV shows and movies that we watch where a kidnapper takes something uh, that doesn't belong to them and then they require a ransom to purchase it back, that's precisely what that word means in a biblical sense. You have something that was taken that wants to be purchased back it must be redeemed. It must be purchased back. We'll take a look at the word redemption. It's the release of people, animals, or property from bondage through outside help. Only someone strong or rich can affect redemption. So God plays a leading role in our redemption. So when we take a look at the, just the idea of redemption, we're talking about God taking on an active role to purchase us for himself the buying back or release of an object or person in Scripture, redemption refers to God's ransoming of believers only through the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross and to all the benefits that that brings. And so again, when we're talking about redemption tonight, you and I have been purchased. Uh, what was purchased? Our souls were purchased. What were they purchased? By. They were purchased by the blood of Christ. That's the price that was paid uh, for you and I for our salvation. Now, your salvation should be valuable to you. The value that we have of things that we received is generally associated with either what we actually paid for that or the sentimental value of the one who's given it to us. 
for example. Uh, my kids have given me trinkets and junk over the years as Christmas presents or Father's Day presents, right? But it's, it's my junk, right? Don't throw that away. That's sweet. That's special. Uh, when we moved back to Honolulu, we had to really had to downsize and, and compact everything. And we're throwing away kids, uh, you know, kindergarten crafts and stuff like that. And it's just like, take a picture of that before you throw it away because it's so special. Uh, but why? Is it because of the monetary value? No, it's based on who has given it to us. But get this, your salvation is valuable not only because of who's given it to you, Christ himself, uh, God the Father through Jesus Christ, but the price that was actually paid for your salvation. It's valuable because there was such a high price that was paid. The blood of Jesus Christ was paid for my sin and yours and for our salvation. That's how valuable our salvation is. Again, uh, my, my um, wife has given me uh, gifts before that didn't cost very much money. Special. There's times where she spent a lot of money, and even if I don't like it, I don't want to throw it away because it was, has some value because it has a monetary value. Our salvation has a value based on the price it was paid and who's given it to us. And so when we talk about redemption, we have to factor in uh, that purchase price that was made. Uh, one author says it this way, the word ransom is appropriately used in speaking of redemption. Uh, the Greek words litro, usually translated into redeemed, Apolytrosis, which is generally re redemption, are derived from the Greek word litron, which means a ransom or a price of release. And get this, which was almost always a technical term in the ancient world for the purchase or an act of freeing a slave. So this special word that was used in the Bible to, re to record, uh, that the Holy Spirit used to describe what Jesus has done for us, was typically a technical term that was used for slaves being purchased as property. So when we look at our redemption, we were redeemed from the slavery of sin. Now, it's really important, again, depending on the English translation of your, the Bible that you use, certain passages of scriptures, instead of using words like ransom or redemption, will actually use words like deliverance instead. Uh, I'm a strong proponent that words matter. And when you talk about things like redemption, like this has a price associated with it that costs someone a, a great deal versus deliverance, which says nothing about any type of value or what was paid for it. Those are really two different terms. Were you and I released from our sin? For sure. But we weren't just released, we were redeemed. There's a huge difference there. And so, uh, again, I encourage you to, to study out the Bible and see what these words mean. And uh, again, I'm not a, a proponent, just like I talked about this morning, of finding an easier translations with smaller words. I don't think we have to make it purposely difficult. But words like propitiation, we can't just uh, ascribe a different definition to that, uh, that that suits it. We can't take words like redemption and just call it deliverance because they're two different ideas. Words have meaning. So we take a look at redemption. In every case, redemption, there's a decisive and costly uh, intervention that takes place every single time. Decisive, meaning you didn't get redeemed accidentally. Costly. This was not something that you could do on your own. You can't save yourself. Your good works can't save you. A church can't save you. Baptism can't save you. Knowledge can't save you. Being a good person can't save you. There's only one thing that can save you, and it comes with a very high price tag associated with it. That's the blood of Jesus Christ. Costly intervention. It was decisive. 
Before the world began, God had already determined that his son would be given as a ransom, a redemption for all those that would come to him in faith and repentance. It was decisive action that was already taken uh, by God to do that. So in this case, when one redeems something, they know what they want, they know what the price is associated with it, and they're willing to go to great extremes to buy it back. I remember as a kid trying to struggle with the idea of redemption uh, with salvation versus like the only other time I heard redemption was for coupons and aluminum cans. And I thought like, that's kind of strange. But as you begin to process through that, hey, the state is willing to buy back your cans for five cents. Uh, I remember once upon a time, it was like, I think it was Oregon or somewhere. It was like 10 cents a can or something like that. And people were like buying U-Hauls and like filling them up with cans and driving them across the state lines and dump them across there. And they basically cut that off and basically had to show a state ID and stuff like that. It was crazy. But redemption, buying back. We're not buying back for nickels and dimes. We're buying back uh, souls, God is, with the blood of his son. And so we take a look at redemption. Redemption really is the story of the Bible people who have gone astray, people who have enslaved either themselves or have been enslaved, and God redeems them. We see this going all the way back to Israel when God redeems Israel. And so we see in Isaiah chapter 43, verse number one, uh, all these are in your notes, and some of them I'm going to have you actually turn to because they're really important. But Isaiah 43, verse number one, I didn't mean like the rest of the Bible is not important. And so I catch myself when I say things like that. It's not like I'll have you turn to the important verses. The whole Bible is important. Uh, but our verses that are, are more uh, applicable to what we're talking about here. How about that? Isaiah 43, 1. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, and I have called thee by name, thou art mine. So again, uh, God says to Israel, Israel, I purchased you. You belong to me. And when we call uh, the children of Israel God's people, that's specifically what God means. Isaiah 44, verse number 21 says, Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee. Thou art my servant, O Israel. Thou shalt not be forgotten of me. I blotted out as thick as a cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains, O forests, and every tree therein. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Now, again, here's a really important part to note as well. Our redemption, just the last part of that verse there that we took a look at, Isaiah uh, 44, 23. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. It's really critical for you and I to, th to remember through this process of speaking about redemption. God has redeemed you for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to glorify himself. Amen. Please don't lose sight of that. Sometimes we think, well, God redeemed me because of his love for me. And he did. God redeemed me because I'm a really good dude. And I'm not. Uh, God redeemed me because I was worthy of that. I, I was not worthy of that. And so again, we, we, we get caught up in this self-centered uh, Christianity where again, uh, the, the universe revolves around me. God exists for me. Again, uh, the whole stuff of like, and I've heard well-meaning pastors say this, you know, again, if God had an iPhone, you'd be on his lock screen, your picture would be on his fridge, and he'd carry your, uh, pictures in your wallet and talk about all the things you're doing. That's cute. That's not how God lives. God wants you to glorify him. Amen. Does he love you? For sure, because he's a God of love. But he desires glory first and foremost before he 
I'm going to be careful how I say this. <laughs> He's more concerned about his glory than he is about how you feel. Yeah. I want to say that with kindness as much as I can. Because at the end of the day, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God's glory. And so when we talk about redemption, God has redeemed you for his glory. What are the collateral benefits of that? You and I now have a father. You and I are part of a family. Now you and I get to go to heaven. Now you and I don't have to be punished by God's wrath. Now you and I don't have to go to hell. Now God gives us his Holy Spirit. God allows us to to walk in his word. God allows us to know him and to know Jesus. All of those are great, but please understand those are collateral benefits of God's glory. They're secondary. And so when we talk about redemption, God redeemed us because not we were worthy of redemption, but because of his desire for his own glory. Our souls were purchased by God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 20. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are are God's. The Bible tells us that our, our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Here's the thing about our body. We don't get to decide what we want to do with our body. We don't decide how we want to treat our body or things like that. The Bible says that we are stewards of the body that God's given us. Our body belongs to the Holy Spirit, that that we're bought with a price. Just like you don't sell a car and then still get to drive it, God didn't purchase you as his own and then relinquish all rights to it. Oh, no, no, you belong to him. How should you live? I don't know, ask him. Ask his word. I make every decision in my life based on what God wants for me from the word. You say, you do? I, I do. I try to factor that into every decision that I make. What would God have me to do? Because I don't belong to me. But God's given you a spouse. Your spouse doesn't belong to you. Your spouse belongs to the Lord. If you have children, God, those aren't your children. Those are the Lord's children. If you own a car, your car's not yours. It's the Lord's. You don't have anything that wasn't given to you by your father. And so when we talk about redemption, we need to remember that we have been purchased by God and we belong to God. You're bought with a price, be not the servants of men, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 20. Now, how are we purchased? We're purchased and redeemed and ransomed by the blood of Christ. Again, kind of the theme of the music that we talked about today that was not by accident. I will sing of my Redeemer. With his blood, he purchased me. On the cross, he sealed my pardon, paid my debt, and made me free. That's redemption. How are we purchased? By the blood of Christ. Uh, the Bible tells us uh, in uh, verse number, uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse number 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Acts chapter 20, verse number 28, Paul's talking to a group of pastors, and he tells them to take care of the church. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Hebrews 9, 12 tells us, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So we see here that there is nothing else in the world that could purchase us for God other than the blood of Christ. That's it. There's no substitute. Uh, There's nothing that we can put in place of this. The blood of Christ is all that can save us, purchase us, redeem us, cleanse us, ransom us. God says this. Their souls have been stolen by sin and there is a ransom price that something must die. 
And the blood of Christ is the only thing that could ransom our souls. And so when we take a look at this, what were we saved from? Now, often we say things like, you know, uh, well, uh, he got saved. Saved from what? That's, that's the question I always have. Saved from what? What does that mean, saved? Well, it's a Bible word, and so it's not a trick question per se. The Bible says you should believe in your heart and confess through the mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you may be saved. The Bible tells us the book of Acts, in, uh, the Acts chapter 2, tells us that, that many believed on his word that day and were baptized and were added to them about 3,000 souls. Those people were saved that first day that the gospel was preached on the day of Pentecost. And so, but saved from what? Saved, saved from what? Saved to what? You were redeemed. You were purchased by God himself. Purchased from what? Several different things. First of all, Jesus redeemed us from the law. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. Galatians 4, 5, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And so here we see that you and I were under the bondage of the law. God had rules and you couldn't meet them. God had expectations and you have failed. God asked you not to do stuff and you did it. And then... You were redeemed from the curse of the law. Now, again, we haven't gotten this far in Romans, but we will. But Paul says, hey, does that mean that the law is sinful? Is the law bad? I, I mean, if, if we were under the curse of the law, is the law sin? He says, no, 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 God forbid. I wouldn't have known that what lust was unless God's law told me thou shalt not covet. And so... When we look at the law, it doesn't mean it's something that was bad, but you and I were under the curse of the law and the fact that we could never possibly fulfill God's expectations. And so Jesus redeemed us uh, from that. Jesus redeemed us from the power of sin. This is one of the most transformational truths for new Christians or Christians who haven't been walking with Jesus. Get this. You don't have to sin any longer. You don't have to. Oh, I know, but it's just so hard. Okay, your heart might want to, but you don't have to any longer. Now, prior to knowing Jesus, you didn't have power over sin. This is one of the reasons why I do not do marriage counseling for people that aren't Christians. Because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They've not accepted the power of God unto salvation. They're not living according to Scripture. And so the tools that I have to give them are like what? Like, when you get mad, count to 10 and don't say anything that's not nice, you know? Behavior modification. Before you knew Christ, all you could do is modify your behavior. And now, some unsaved people have done a great job of modifying their behavior. But the true change comes as the Holy Spirit works in you to free you from the power of sin. Romans chapter 6, verse number uh, 16 says, Then being made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. That word servant could also be translated as bond slave. You were a slave before to your sin, but now you have been free. Free now to be a slave to righteousness. Again, critical truth for everyone to understand. You will either be a slave to your sin, or you will be a slave to Christ, but you will always be under bondage. Always. Pick your master. Do you want one that that will destroy your life? Do you want one that ends in death? Or do you want one that ends in eternal life? Take your pick. I just want to be able to do my own thing. You will never be able to do your own thing. 
well, I don't want to accept Christ as Savior because then, then I can't do what I want to. <laughs> Without Christ, you don't have the power to not do what you want to. And so, but again, freedom apart from Christ is not freedom. It's just bondage to a different master. And so Christ has given us freedom over the power of sin. Romans chapter 6, verse number 22, now being made free from sin. Again, you've been released, set free, purchased from the slave market of sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and unto the end, life everlasting. And so now you've made your choice. I'm not going to sin any longer, but I really want to live for Jesus. And, and here's the end result of that. Good spiritual fruit's going to come out of your life as a result of that. And so he's redeemed us from the power of sin. Jesus redeemed us from the power of death. Death no longer has power. There's no teeth in that. Hey, when I take my last breath here on planet Earth, I'm going to be with the Lord. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And while there might be a, a twinge of sadness there that we won't meet again once on this Earth, we know for a fact that heaven is our home for those that know, that know Christ as Savior. And we don't fear death. Death has no power. One of the hardest things in the world is to sit with someone who has a loved one that's dying that's not saved. Because there's not really any words of comfort that you can give. I, I sat one time with a, a church member who knew a family that was going through a really tough spot. Their son was about to pass away and they asked me if I would come and just be with the family. And I did. And I tried to love the family and pray with them and encourage them, but they weren't believers. And when their son passed away, all I could muster up was to say, I'm so sorry that this has happened. And just to see the devastation on their face, I had no words of comfort during that time. I'm really sorry. I can't say he's in a better place. He's not. He's worse off than he'll ever be. I can't say it'll be okay because it won't. I can't say you'll see him again one day because you won't. I can't say, I'm praying that God will give you a lot of peace during this time, because he won't. Said, God won't give people peace during times like that. Peace comes from the Holy Spirit, which they don't have. Amen. The hardest thing in the world to do is to sit with people who have no hope and not be able to give them hope. But I'm telling you this, I've been on the bedside of people who know Jesus, and it's just like, hey, it's okay. I'll see you soon. Man, we'll meet up when we get there. I'll see you on the other side. I sat with a lady several years ago. She was in her 40s who was uh, dying with uh, pancreatic cancer. And her husband was not a believer, and he asked if I would go by and visit her, and I did. And I sat in her living room, beautiful home over at Kelly. Uh, she had a, a hospital bed there in the living room. Strangest sight, beautiful home. You walk in, there's a hospital bed there. And I began to ask her about her faith, and she said, uh, she'd accepted Christ as Savior at a ladies' Bible study that her neighbor had invited her to. Uh, she had a strong set testimony of salvation. And um, she said, do you think I'll make it to heaven? And I said, no, I know you'll make it to heaven. And she said, really? And I just began to go through scripture with her and give her encouragement. And I said, hey, um, the Lord's going to see you. He's going to be on the other side. He can't wait to see you. And here's the great news. I'm going to see you one day. I'm a little bit jealous that you get to go see the Lord before I do, but 
in eternity, it won't really matter. And she kind of laughed a little bit. And like three days later, she was gone. And I went to her memorial service. She was uh, active duty army. I went to her memorial service, and it was called the base chapel. And the chaplain there was an absolute fool. He was like, oh, we thank you for the life of this person, Lord. And we know that she's with you because she lived a life of self-sacrifice for others. And I, I just went like, hey, can I say a word? I know I'm not with the family or anything, but like, can I say something here? Because he's really important. I wanted to, but it's like, oh, inside of me, I was so grieved. And then I had to go around to people and tell them about her salvation testimony because nobody else did. I had the opportunity to witness to her husband who wasn't saved, and I said, you know, she really wanted you to know Jesus because she found a lot of comfort in that. But she didn't feel like she could ever have that conversation with you. And so that's hard, but here's the thing. When we have been redeemed, death itself, man, it doesn't, it doesn't hold any power. Hey, man, I haven't died. I'm simply living my eternal life now. There's hope that's found there. There's encouragement that's found there. And so that's purchased for us through Jesus Christ. Uh, Psalm 49, verse number 15, But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me, Selah. Hosea 13, 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. So God says, oh, no, no, for those that are mine, death isn't really a thing. You just go from temporary life to eternal life. And there's great hope that's found there. Next, we see that Jesus has redeemed us or purchased us from all iniquity, all sin. Titus chapter 2, verse number 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Turn your Bibles over to Titus chapter 2, verse number 14. I want you to see this because this is really, really, really important that you get this. Titus chapter 2, verse number 14. It's in your notes, but you should turn it in your Bible. Titus chapter 2, verse number 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. So again, Jesus gave his life, shed his blood to purchase us from all of our sin and to purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. That word peculiar there means a purchased possession. That's what that word means. Now, I cannot, I've lost count of the number of, of terrible exegetical pastors who have said, uh, you should be a little peculiar for Jesus. Bless God, you should be a little weird for Jesus. That's not what that word means at all. You know? Man, people be crazy, you know, painting college logos on their shirts and taking their shirts off and getting crazy for football. You should get crazy for Jesus. Be peculiar. That is not what that means. Not even remotely close. It means a purchased possession. It means that you do not belong to you. You belong to him because he's bought you. And so God wants to purify for himself a people that have been purchased for himself that would be zealous about good works. Look, the church should be good people. The church should be doing good stuff. You know why? Because we belong to Jesus. And, and again, it's important that we get the order right. 
I do good stuff because I belong to Jesus. I don't do good stuff and hope that Jesus will take me. I don't do good stuff hoping that I'll be saved. I do good stuff because I'm saved. And so when he talks about, again, a peculiar people, a purchased possession that belongs to him, it doesn't mean weird. Um, Next, we see that Jesus has redeemed us from this evil age, Galatians chapter uh, 1, verse number 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Now, here's the great part about this. This is what Paul wrote to the churches in the Galatian region. Most of his epistles were written to individual churches. This church was, this letter is written to a group of churches as opposed to one church in particular. So churches in the Galatian region, probably five to seven churches there. He says, hey guys, Jesus has died as a way to purchase us back from this evil age. Fast forward 2,000 years, what word would Paul use for the age in which we live? Evil like begins to scratch the surface a little bit, I think. Like when, when, when we have a push of people to stop calling women women but call them birthing persons. Like, what? When we have, have men who are, you know, uh, advocates for feminine hygiene products, it's like, What? Like, how is this possible? It's an evil age, but here's the thing. You and I don't have to be a part of that because we've been purchased out of that. And again, here's the beautiful thing about the church. Uh, The the word that's used for the church in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia, which literally means a people who have been taken out of something and placed into something else. A set-apart people. You and I that, are, that make up the church, these are the people who have been saved and born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've not only been purchased, but we've also been taken out of this and placed into the church. And the church should be separate from the world. Now, it's in, in, important information. We're not to be isolated from the world. We're to be insulated from the world. There's a difference. We're not going to go, go buy a big piece of farm uh, land on the big island and all of us fly over there and we're just going to live there and love each other and love Jesus and sing songs all day and we'll, we'll grow our own food. We'll just kind of raise everybody's kids together in one big group. That's not what it means. Some of you are like, that sounds like a good gig. No, it doesn't. <laughs> like family camp almost killed me. Those three, like three, two days, you know? No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And so... You guys would age me way too quick. Uh, but here's the thing. with it. We're not supposed to go live in a commune somewhere. We are supposed to live in this world, but not allow this world to influence us. Insulated, not isolated. There's a difference. But we don't belong to this world. We've been redeemed from this evil age in which we live. Jesus has redeemed us from destruction. Psalm 103, verse number 4. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowned thee with loving kindness and tender mercy, Psalm 103 says. Now, really important thing to note, we are not redeemed from Satan as we never belong to him. God didn't broker a deal with the devil to buy our, our, our sin debt from him. And, and because of what the devil had on, on God, God had to give his son his, oh, no, 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 no. You have greatly, greatly misjudged the relationship between God the Father and Satan. It's not an even f- uh, fight. It's not even remotely close. It's apples and oranges. 
God is so powerful. He doesn't need, he doesn't owe the devil anything. He doesn't have to pay him anything. Like the, the devil exists because God allows him to exist. And there's coming a day where God will destroy him and he'll be on the receiving end of God's wrath just like everybody else who rejected Christ. The devil is not in charge of anything, nor has ever been in charge of anything that God does not allow. So again, the idea, and again, I think this is just a lot of good folk stories and probably some false religion mixed in with a lot of superstition that like, oh, Jesus was fighting the devil by going to the cross and by dying on the cross, he fought the devil and, and purchased our sin and our, our, ourselves back from the devil. No, that, that's garbage. There's not a single shred of biblical evidence for any of that. The, the devil is not powerful enough to, to take our souls. And once you've been uh, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the devil cannot take your life. He cannot take your salvation, but he can make both of those really miserable. So again, redemption, what are we redeemed from? We're redeemed from our sin, the slavery of our sin. We're, deceit, we're redeemed from destruction. And so you can also that where that word redeemed is you could translate saved we're saved from the law we're saved from the power of sin we're saved from the power of death we're saved from all iniquity we're saved from this evil age and we're saved from destruction and so this redemption now gives us justification again we're talking about this in the book of romans again so much rich doctrinal truth about our salvation uh, in the study of soteriology romans chapter 3 verse number 24 which we just covered a week before last tells us being justified how freely by his grace through the redemption that is in christ jesus so uh, we're redeemed uh, and that declares us righteous because we belong to god get this no one has ever been redeemed and still been declared guilty i'll say that again just to see how time to process it no one has ever been redeemed by the blood of the of christ and still been declared guilty Redemption automatically carries with it the idea that we are forgiven, that we're declared righteous before God, that our, our, our wrath has been propitiated by Jesus Christ, that our sin has been expiated by Jesus Christ, automatically comes with our redemption. Now, here's the crazy thing, if you, if you and I think about this. The day that you got saved and you accepted Christ as Savior, for me, I was a nine-year-old boy, I just knew... I broke God's law. Jesus is the only way to, to, to fix it, and I need his forgiveness. And I, I prayed a prayer really, really simple like a, a nine-year-old would. Did I understand at nine years old the significance of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and the two goats, and the blood being not remotely close? I didn't know what the word propitiation meant. I didn't know what justification meant. I didn't know what regeneration meant. I didn't know what redemption meant. I didn't know any of that. I just knew that Jesus was enough. And let me just tell you, we need to know the Bible. We need to understand the Bible. But sometimes we overcomplicate things and understand our salvation is really, really simple. But when you begin to add up the benefits that you received the day that you got saved, it should blow your mind. Like, wow, that one decision that I made as a nine-year-old boy set in motion this chain of events to lead me where I am today and all the things that I got from that tacked on, all the, here's the thing too, I was saved from destruction. I was saved from my iniquity. I was redeemed from all that. Uh, I, re I remember going through a period when I was probably, uh, I don't know, 18, 19 years old and was super immature. 
But I remember thinking to myself, like, my salvation testimony is kind of crummy. Like, I got saved when I was nine. Uh, you know, I, I never, you know, did drugs. I never smoked a cigarette in my life. I never drank alcohol, you know. Uh, kept my nose fairly clean, you know. Didn't do a lot of big sin. And so what did God really save me from? God saved me from that evil age, that destruction that was coming, had I not been saved. Had I not been saved, I would have had all of those things coming for me. And on top of that, at the end, God's wrath. So that, sometimes people say, well, my salvation testimony is not that great. That's a lie from the devil. Right. Every single person's salvation testimony is great because you pass from death to life Amen. by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a good story. Um, this redemption gives us forgiveness of sin. Uh, Ephesians 1.7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So because we've been purchased, we're declared righteous. Because we've been purchased, our sin has been forgiven. Because we've been purchased, this redemption gives us adoption. Oh, man, this is, this is one that this is so huge. Because we were the enemies of God, but now we're the sons and daughters of God. How? Through Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 to them gave he power to become the sons, and the automatically, automatically implied there is the sons and daughters of God, even to those that believe on his name. Hey, Jesus made us sons and daughters. We were orphans. The Bible says we were strangers. We were aliens. We were enemies. And now we've been brought close. That's one of the reasons why I love, love, love this song, Jesus, thank you. Your blood has washed away my sin, Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. What, what's the Bible word for that? Propitiation. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Oh, man. Just the, the doctrinal truth of a song like that. And so please forgive me if I don't love good, good father, okay? Uh, I like <laughs> deep doctrinal stuff, right? Like there's, there's so much rich stuff to sing about God other than the same thing 28 times. So, um, again, here's the idea. Adoption is so rich because that comes because we've been purchased. Galatians chapter 4, verse number 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. God couldn't have brought you into his family apart from making things right and, uh, and purchasing you and paying a price for you. God couldn't allow you to come with your sin into his family. It doesn't work that way. The only way that you could be brought near to God was by the blood of Jesus Christ. Redemption also gives us purification. Same verse we took a look at in Titus chapter 2, verse number 14, who gave us himself for us. He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So again, purify unto himself. It allows you and I to be purged of our sin and be able to walk in righteousness and holiness. And our desire for an obligation to good works is born out of redemption. Again, this is what I was talking about earlier. I want to do good things now that I'm saved. I now am obligated to do good things because I'm saved. How can I show the love of Jesus Christ to people? 
How can I encourage other people? How can I pray for people? How can I make a difference in my community? How can I make a difference in my workplace? I have to do these things because I belong to Jesus now. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10, for we are his workmanship, created unto Christ in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 14, he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall partition between us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 19, for this is thankworthy if a, man, uh, for, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. 1 Corinthians 6, 20, for you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. So you and I, because we've been purchased by God, are obligated to do good with it. Please understand, God never saved you for you to punch your ticket to heaven and then just have a seat and wait for your number to be called. Never. Again, God saved you, redeemed you for his glory. Live like it. Live for his glory this week. How can I make Jesus look good this week? How can I draw people to Christ this week? How can I show the love of God to someone else this week? What does that look like for me? I need to do that because that's why I was redeemed. I was redeemed for the glory of God. And so when we boil down the idea of redemption, it comes down to this. He paid a debt that he did not owe and paid a price that I could not pay. Jesus took upon himself my sin debt. He didn't know that. He can let me sit in it for all of eternity, but because of his grace, his love, he was willing to go to the cross and pay a debt that he did not owe, and the price that was necessary to be paid, I couldn't have afforded that. Think of it this way, guys. When guys go to lunch together, we always uh, do this like nail macho thing where we fight for the bill, right? Uh, and, and some guys are like super shady and they'll like get up like, oh, I'm going to the bathroom and they'll like go pay the bill while they're at the bathroom. Like that's just, it's, it's lying. It's deception. It's sinful. <laughs> Don't be shady like that. But guys do that. Like I've seen ladies when they go out to dinner and it's just like, hey, you want to split it? Yeah, that's fine. And so they split it down the middle. It's just like, you know. but like guys don't, no, one check, I'll take it over here like that. And then we fight with the waitress and we make her feel bad. Like, oh, who would I give it to? Give it to me if you want a tip. It's just like, wow. You know, putting somebody's livelihood in danger here, right? But imagine this, they, they bring the, the bill and the bill is, you know, $785 million. You're like, uh... Yeah, I can't pay that. Well, can I, can I wash dishes? <laughs> For how long, right? You look at that and you're just like, okay, like, I, I could have spent a couple hundred dollars on a meal, but like, this is like way out of the realm of anyone that I know. I can't call somebody who could bail me out of this mess that I have. I'm in way over my head. And imagine someone walking by going, hey, I'll take care of that for you. Hmm, what do you do? I'm not, not going to fight you over that bill, right? No, I'm going to let you pay that. Jesus came by in our greatest time of need. And please understand your greatest time of need is not some, some you know, financial crisis that you're in. Your greatest time of need is when you recognize your sin against the holy God and what would the consequences of that. That was your greatest time of need. He found us at our greatest time of need and he says, I'm willing to pay that. All I need you to do is believe and receive. <laughs> and if you've never been saved, if you've never been redeemed, if you've never been born again, tonight is your opportunity. You look at the goodness of who Jesus is and what he's offering you. 
And he goes, well, I don't want to have to follow Jesus. You're following the world and your flesh and the devil right now. I've got a better master for you. I just want to do my own thing. You will never do your own thing. You will always be under control of the world, the flesh, and the devil, or Jesus Christ. Totally up to you. And I would encourage you tonight to find the beauty of Jesus. He's a great Savior. He's gracious. He's kind. He's the part of your life that's missing, that you really need a connection to. And he's, he's paid the price already. All you need to do is receive it. You say, well, Pastor, I'm already saved. Good. Then let's live a life that models what redemption looks like. We're redeemed unto good works. We're redeemed unto the glory of the Father. Let's live like that this week as well. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.